Well, back to the flip side. Galen Clavio here, along with Brian Moritz. A day late, and that's all my fault. I apologize. But, hey, nobody died, I don't think. Hopefully, nobody was injured in the lack of podcast, the lack of flip side. Uh, but, Brian, it, it's good to, to hear you and, and see you. You're, you're coming in a little cloudy on the visuals here today, but oh, hopefully, hopefully your audio comes in nice and clear. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. We had we had we had a bit of a scare yesterday, not related to to any of our podcasting delay, but uh, we we came very close to losing my beloved Honda Civic yesterday. Really, uh, my 2008 Honda Civic that has 220 plus thousand miles carried me through grad school, carries me on the job. Uh, it just up and died yesterday, or stopped moving. I should say it stopped doing anything. Like I wasn't putting gear and nothing. What happened? Thought was the trans was the transmission, fearing the worst. Turned out, luckily, to only be a broken axle. So oh, that's that was, all, just a broken well, axle. Well, it, it, it's not it's not significant. But it's the difference between a you know three four hundred dollar repair job, and I have my car back on the on the road, versus a two thousand dollar transmission job. At which point, we would be uh, thanking the Civic for its service and casting it to its next life. So gotcha. So yes. Yeah, so other than that, you know. Things are things are good. Um, a lot of bad stuff happening in the world today. In the last two days since we've been recording, and I think that you know we kind of we were talking about topics. I think we're going to respectfully steer clear of Charlotte and of Tulsa and of elections. I mean, if you want to talk about it, we can. But there's a lot being said, and I don't know what more either one of us can say to it that we haven't said here or in other areas before. Of areas, and I don't know if people really tune into here. Are uh, I'm untenured, so um, <laughs> we, it's always that. Um, but but we've got some fun topics today. We've got a couple of sports ones. We got another good food one. I like our food topics. We tend to get really good discussion on uh, food topics. So we do um, get, we do get some good food topics. That that is true. So. We're here to talk about some things, and yes, I, look, I'm 100% on board with uh, sticking to not sports, Brian. Like, I think we should <laughs> stick to not sports, or we'll talk yeah. a little bit of sports, obviously, but uh, no, right. we'll we'll um, we'll let this be a momentary oasis from the the troubles of the world surrounding us, and Absolutely. we'll do our heavy political show. Maybe we'll live. Maybe we'll live pod the first presidential debate or something like that. Well, you know what? If we go back to our Tuesday schedule, I'm just saying election day is a Tuesday. Man, we'd have that, to do. We need to do like a Google Hangout for that, don't yeah, we? Yeah, we we might have to. I mean, that might be worth the first live show, of the election. Although there could be some weeping the way things are going. It could. Uh, you could hear two grown men cry. Is what could happen. Yeah. You know, I, I although part of the fun of election night is is listening to the incredulity of the announcers on like CNN or whatever you're watching. So right. I feel yeah, like we might be we might be depriving both ourselves and the audience in that situation. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. So, uh, all right. So, what is uh, uh, your uh, beer of choice for ep- season three, episode two? Actually, not a beer tonight. We're, oh, we're, we uh, switched it up. Decided. Well, we had some pizza earlier, and while you know, most of the time you think, "Oh, pizza, obviously beer." Right. Uh, it, it, it felt like it needed a, a nice red wine to go with it. Uh, oh, so, okay. so we're going with the uh, out of the Wall Street Journal wine collection, the uh-huh. the the J. Lore uh, 2013 Paso Robles Cabernet Sauvignon. 
and it's actually quite good. It's it's a pretty smooth drink. I I was I'm not a not I mean cabs are fine. They're 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 like right. the Ford Escort of wines, but that's yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe the Ford Taurus of wines. But all right, yeah. Um, but it's actually pretty good. I've, I I haven't been displeased with what I've had so far. Now, how about you? You're 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 hewing more to the tradition of the show. So, what are you drinking? I am. I'm going with the uh, Evil Twin Brewing Citra Sunshine Slacker. Nice. Yeah, I haven't. I never had this before. I've never actually. I don't think I've ever had anything from Evil Twin. I see them all the time. Uh, I'm holding this up like you can still see it. Um, <laughs> but um, we had to turn off the uh, the video portion of our call for some. Gremlins. Uh, technical issues. Gremlins. Or gremlins, yes. And gremlins on the uh, attacking the inner tubes. But it's a session IPA. It's a nice summer session IPA too. Very very nice citrus flavor. And we're having a bit of a I guess it technically would be a Native American summer up here. Uh temperatures in the mid in the mid eighties all week. So it's a it's a kind of a perfect beer to match the weather. That just sounds like straight up summer. I mean, I, I I'm not sure that uh, to well, me, like I've never, maybe I've never fully grasped the meaning behind uh, the Native American summer or or Indian summer or whatever you want to call it, you know. Um, But I I always felt that it was supposed to be a bit cooler, like still warm, but not like August temperatures. Okay, see, I always took it, and and again, um, my understanding was always that it was like the hot days after when it should be cool. So, like, mid to late September, early October, when it's still, like, summer weather. So, yeah, actually, technically, you're correct. A period of, of unusually dry, warm weather occurring in late autumn. See, I have been misinterpreting this my whole actually, life. Well and, well, and actually, well, then I'm wrong because technically summer is still today. Like, tomorrow's the first day of fall. Today's that's, the first. I forget how it works. That's true. Um, so, I mean, technically, it's still summer. So, but, it's seasonal but you, weather. But you will be right sooner than me because my entire definition was wrong yes all i can ever ask for in this life is to be right sooner strangely enough this phenomenon i'm reading the wikipedia page for indian summer of course right uh similar weather conditions with local variations also exist a warm period in autumn in germany austria switzerland lithuania hungary estonia and finland uh is called alt viber summer which translates literally to old women's summer (laughs) <laughs> that's amazing and and actually in in slavic countries it's just known as women's summer mm-hmm. um and in wow. Bul- bulgaria it's known as gypsy summer which that's saying that sounds not politically correct uh um, no, it, no it doesn't but uh, it also in bulgaria but, neither, trans- but then again neither does indian summer. this is great here we are in bulgarian it also translates to poor man's summer so there you go it's like <laughs> this is the poor man's summer so poor man's summer i love it <laughs> um so anyway, we had some things we wanted to tackle. Do you want to go the sports route or the non-sports route to start? Let, let, let's start with the sports and then move. To, why don't we go sports, mu- music, food in order of topics? Okay, fine. So, um, so on the sports front, um, I brought up something on Twitter, and I don't know where exactly you want to go with this, but I will start with some of the the basic things that I was talking about, and I had a uh, I don't I would hesitate to even call it a hypothesis, uh, mm-hmm. but it was basically this that in the NFL there is one position that is more important than the other positions, and that's quarterback, mm-hmm. and there are seemingly not very many actually good quarterbacks in the NFL at any one given time. You know, you could maybe maybe ten 
maybe 12 like quality starters and and you know people that you would say okay I have a legitimate chance to win the Super Bowl if this person's my starting quarterback it might actually be a smaller number than that okay we I also postulated that NFL football in many ways is difficult to watch when one or both teams does not have a quality quarterback because in 2016, so much of the game is based upon passing offense. Mm-hmm. So if you extend that out to its natural conclusion, you have to look at it and say, well, you know, frankly, there just aren't enough good quarterbacks. And it seems to not be – I mean, I don't I don't know if it's always been like there haven't been enough good quarterbacks, but it seems weird that in a sport where that is the most important position, that at the highest level – uh, you would only have a handful of people who could actually play it. That kind of renders the sport to some degree uh, problematic, I would think. Mm-hmm. So how do we solve that? Because I think that has to be something that's solved. And my argument was, well, we need to make rules or change rules to make it easier to be a quarterback because even though it seems like we've been doing that, it almost seems like it's gotten harder for quarterbacks to be consistently good. I'm not even talking about great. I'm just saying consistently good. And and that hurts the overall quality of the league and, and the overall quality of the entertainment that we're sitting there watching. All right. And I, I, I find this topic actually endlessly fascinating. Um, I, after I saw that and I was thinking about it, and there are a, lot, a couple different hooks that I, that I can put in it. Um, I do want to mention, I'm looking at the, uh, so to start off, I'm looking at the uh, footballoutsiders.com quarterback stats just to kind of get a sense of who, you know, who, you know, who, who are, how many good quarterbacks there are right now. And it's interesting to say how you judge, like, good, like, is a good quarterback somebody who can win you a Super Bowl? Is it somebody who can get you to the playoffs, take a bad team to be good? On and I, on and on. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I mean, I have uh, a definition, but I want to hear what the rest of what you have to say. No, so I mean, I'd like to hear your definition on that and like looking at, at it. And it, it's funny because it's one of those things where, you know, I feel like a lot of people don't like, the, the, feel the quality of NFL games and NFL play is, excuse me, deteriorated. It's lower than it was in the past. Um, and I looked up earlier this week after you mentioned this, as we talked about this as a topic, I looked up just really quick uh, quarterback stats from like 1990. Um, kind of went in our coming in our football coming of age era, just to kind of trying to get a sense of how the two eras compare. And I didn't do a deep dive on it, so I can't really speak much to it. Um, but I, but so so there's that kind of under you know the are quarterbacks really worse now, or are we just remembering the Joe Montana, Dan Marino, Jim Kelly, Warren Moon, John Elway greatness, and forgetting all the Tony Eason's of the world uh, from that era. Um, Another thing I want to kind of bring up is uh, that that whole the developmental aspect, which I find really interesting with quarterback. And there's a book that I read uh, earlier this year, last year, by Bruce Feldman called the QB, The Making of Modern Quarterbacks, that we could discuss some of the things in there. And also just the idea that quarterback that that quarterback has gotten harder to play. Right. And, um, you know. 
the lamenting the lack of good quarterbacks because quarterback is harder to play. And problematic's not my right word for it, but I but I find that to be a very interesting supposition made by football people, not directed at you, just kind of that general idea. Um, but I'd love to hear your definition of a good quarterback before we get going, because that's kind of like a good starting point for us. I think, a, I think the definition of a good quarterback is a quarterback that can win you a playoff game. Not saying okay. that, not saying that they will, but they can win you a playoff game. Uh, you know, I think the leap from good to great is the quarterback who gives you a better than average shot of winning a Super Bowl. Okay, and and so you know that's I try you know I try not to be too limiting with it, but at the same you know at the, at the end of the day, that's what matters in the NFL is can you right. can you win a playoff game. Right. And okay, that's that and that's a fine definition. I think that's a really, you know, legitimate good uh straightforward definition to kind of understand the kind of good and kind of great. And it gets away from that stupid ESPN elite, you know, <laughs> debate over court about Joe Flacco and Peyton Manning and Eli Peyton Manning. Eli Manning as to whether they are, you know, whether they are elite, you know, whatever that means. Um yeah, but I'm looking over the list of football of football of quarterbacks. Right now, so we have David Carr, Matt Ryan, Drew Brees, Carson Palmer, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. Interesting and weird case that he is. And then going on, I mean, you, it just seems like to me, you know, there are a lot of. I, I think one of the interesting things is looking at this list. There are a lot of quarterbacks whom I would consider above average to good in that I could see them. They have won a playoff game, or they can lead you to a playoff game. But, you know, but, you know, like, you know, Matt Ryan can win a playoff game. Matt Stafford, if he got you there, I think could win you a playoff game. I'd argue Ryan Fitzpatrick could win you a, 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 win you a playoff game. Bullshit. I'm one of the few. <laughs> I, I have had my heart crushed by Ryan Fitzpatrick when he's been on two separate teams, three separate teams. I think he beat, beat the Bills when he was with Houston. But I but I've always been a Fitzpatrick fan. And I think that. In a one-game situation in the playoffs, he could win you a playoff game. I don't necessarily believe it, it will happen, but I think it could. Whereas I don't think Tyrod Taylor right now can win you a playoff game. So I think there are a lot of quarterbacks that can win you a playoff game, but it's that that leap from kind of good. You, you can you can have a big game, or you can do a drive at the end and playoff in a close game to stringing together wins in the playoffs or stringing together, you know. The, the greatness of, of a Brady or a Rodgers, to me, is less so much they're, they're always, you know, the fact that they're always Super Bowl contenders, that you can basically pick the Patriots and the Packers every year based on their quarterback. And, okay, that's, you know, that's not an outrageous pick. And that they all, they're, they're, that kind of standard 10 and 6, 11 and 5, 12 and 4 years, I think, to me, that's more of a sign of a great quarterback, that, that kind of consistent level of, of play that consistent level of being able to win. But the challenging thing with quarterbacks, I, th- I feel like in evaluating them is, and we can, and this will kind of get into the second point on this. They're oftentimes, even back in the day, but they're oftentimes so uh, system oriented and dependent on everybody else. I mean, you know, this being a Colts fan, you know, Andrew Luck is, you know, I think a good quarterback. I don't know if he's great, but he's definitely in that good level. I would give up a lot of my team to have Andrew Luck as my quarterback, but you put him behind an offensive line. That's basically me, you and a cut and my, and my washer and dryer. And 
that decreases his effectiveness. That keeps him, does that keep him from making that leap from great to good? That's not necessarily on him, but on the talent surrounding him. And so, it, it, you know, the quarterback's such an important position, but it's still one of those that we put so much weight on. Um, kind of like, you know, almost like a pitcher win situation where they get mo- so much credit and so much blame. And, you know, a lot of times there is so much the inter- football is such an interdependent game that it's one of those things that it's hard to pull out in the individual players impact a lot of times. But not with quarterbacks, because, look, I mean, the, the, the fact of the matter is what, what differentiates the quarterback position from every other position, I think, is that it it is like the ball literally goes through the quarterback on almost every offensive right. play. Sure. And and so and you know so much of the NFL, you know, I really I think to some degree our perception of quarterbacks in the '80s and '90s and maybe even a little bit in the 2000s um, was of a different league because it was a league right. that was based around running backs. It was a league right. that was based around um, you know blocking schemes. It was not a league that was necessarily based around a, a tremendous amount of speed in most cases, right. and. So what you had was you you had a lot of quarterbacks who didn't have to be of a certain level in order to still be effective, mm-hmm. and I think what and I guess the, the the central point of my hypothesis was that because the league has changed, we have we have artificially increased the importance of the quarterback position to a level that it had never come close to achieving before, right. But there haven't been enough corresponding changes in the rules of the game to account for the fact that, frankly, the the things that are being asked of human beings playing the quarterback position are basically outside of the reach of all but a very, very few human beings on the planet who happen to filter through and get to that top level and also... Um, you know, happen to be paired with a team that is capable of taking advantage or allowing them to take advantage of of their skills. So, what ru- what rules do you think need to be changed? Because I have some ideas on this, like improving structural and 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 the why this is in terms of like player development. But you know, rule wise, it seems like it's very much f- favoring offenses, and and that's been the 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 move of the league of the last you know however many years is to favor offenses to kind of protect quarterbacks and give them advantages so what rules do you think need to be changed to kind of help quarter to kind of help quarterbacks more well frankly i okay i think that that has almost been a um i don't know if defensive coaches and players have like a pr staff working for them to try to get people to think that that you know the the league is is totally biased in favor of offense i get all of my my nfl knowledge from mike wilbon so go ahead well that would okay (laughs) i I thought i thought maybe you know maybe the maybe the ryan boys had started employing ari fleischer or something like that can can you take them can you do something (laughs) no man you 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 guys chose that i just want to to make uh, that clear you chose both of them but anyway um the even though scoring, I, I think scoring is up. I'm actually not 100% certain if scoring is actually up. But okay. I know passing yards are certainly up. But the rules that exist for the NFL are not necessarily favoring 
they may favor offenses generally. They certainly don't favor quarterbacks in as much as, you know, the idea, like people get all offended that quarterbacks don't have, you know, that they, like, they, you know, they, they, they'll draw 15 yard penalties if they get hit. Well, the problem is that the hits that they're taking are not like hits going on elsewhere on the field. It's hits where they are, for the most part, stationary targets being run at at high speed uh, by guys who are 240 pounds, solid blocks of muscle. And, and the quarterback, because of the nature of their position, really can't move in in their in most cases which you know particularly if they're in the pocket because if they can't if they move they're not going to be able to effectively deliver the ball down the field mm-hmm. now to me that's a that's a structural problem with the way that the NFL is set up if you are going to have a league that places that much emphasis on the position that is throwing the ball forward because what we're seeing over and over again is quarterbacks getting injured or you know, and, and, and you know, sometimes it's season-ending injuries like Tom Brady in 2007, or Peyton Manning not being able to take the field in in 2011 or whatever it was because you know the the the, the neck injuries that he'd suffered, or you know whether it's like what we saw in the first game of the season with with Cam Newton getting repeatedly targeted in the head by the Broncos. Um, you know, there's an accrual factor that goes along with this stuff, and I think it creates an issue that. Um, you know, the, even the quarterbacks that are capable of standing in and, and delivering the ball end up taking such a savage beating, even with the rules as they currently sit, okay. that that they, you know, some of them get injured and some of them just end up deteriorating in overall ability relatively quickly, even within the span of a game. Okay. So my argument would be, if you're going to have the game be this quarterback-centric, you either have to significantly increase the penalties for targeting hits on quarterbacks or you have to create an ability for the quarterback to uh, get rid of the ball easier Um, you know I mean and I don't know what exactly the mechanism on the second one is but certainly um, you know the idea that a 15 yard penalty is a huge penalty for the defense I don't know that that's even necessarily the case in this day and age right Um, so I, I feel like Again, if if the hypothesis is there aren't enough good quarterbacks, mm-hmm. you got you you have to address it from that perspective. You have to have to address it from the perspective of we are not we are not doing enough to protect the quarterback position. Even though it seems like everybody complains that we overprotect the quarterback position, the fact of the matter is the few quarterbacks that we have that can play the game are in constant danger of not being able to play the game, which ergo deteriorates the overall quality of the game. Okay. Um, a lot of it's, it, it, it's, it's an interesting topic to me because I, I, I want to ch- look up something really quick on Football Outsiders. But um, So quick question that you can maybe address while I'm doing that. Can you think of – I was trying to think of this today – as to why and when the NFL kind of went from being that run heavy to the, to the more pass-centric um, league – so like that, so where the quarterback is so important now. I mean, was it uh, Mike Martz? Was it uh, that that Rams team that kind of did it? Do you think that really propelled? Because mm-hmm. I mean, obviously you have the Montana and Steve Young, the West Coast offense in the '80s and '90s, but it was still in the '90s and into the 2000s, very, a very running back centric 
league. You know, not that quarterbacks ever been unimportant, but not like it is. You feel like to the point now where it is. So I mean, do you kind of get a sense of what happened when that happened? I should say. Well, um, what I would say about that, uh, I think that, and I, without looking at the specific, well, I can tell you this: season by season, if you look at um, at passing yards per game in. Mm-hmm. In 2000, okay, let's go back to to 1992. Okay, uh, which granted was a low water mark uh, for that period of time. In fact, I don't want to be dishonest with the audience. Let's go back. Let's go back to 1986. 1986, okay. 205 yards per game through the air. Okay. In 1996, 207 yards per game through the air. Mm-hmm. In 2006, 204 yards a game through the air. In 2016, thus far, 258 yards per game through the wow. air. And so if you go and if you go like year by year from 2006 on, it goes 204, 214, 211, 218, 221, 229, 231, 235, 236, 243, 258. Wow. So um, so that's your answer right there is that yeah. the the, uh, the the amount of of passes uh, being put in the air um, hasn't and, and it, what's interesting is that the, the the number of passes has gone up the number of touchdowns through the air has not the yeah. average number of touchdowns in 1986 was th- uh, through passing was 1.3 okay uh, it was 4.1 percent of all touchdowns. Um, in in 2015, last year, it was 4.6 percent of right. all touchdowns, 1.6 okay. touchdowns per game. So what it's doing, and I think I think what's happened here over the last six or seven years is that the the way that you know the the, the table was set certainly by the West Coast offense, the table was set by Mike Martz and that that offensive conceptualization. But I think it wasn't until GMs realized and and coaches realized that the the ability of offenses to roll out pass catching individuals at every skill position, mm-hmm. you know whether it was tight end, and I think this is where Rob Gronkowski and 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 you know and and people of that ilk, you know, becoming major parts of offense makes a big difference. I think having running backs that are just as much pass catchers as they are runners. I think having Having wide receivers who, frankly, aren't, um, you know, you're not you're not talking about a lot of speedster receivers anymore. I mean, there's a few right. of them, but like I feel like receivers are more and more in the mold of the possession receiver that we kind of you know got to know for the first time in the '90s. Right. Um, like it's just become an easier way to move the football. And I think some of that, frankly, is because the athleticism of defenses at the, in the front seven is is much greater than it used to be. That's a good, that's a great point. Which yeah, actually which actually feeds into my larger point, which is that because of that athleticism, it puts the quarterback at great peril constantly. Because mm-hmm. they're you know it's like it's the difference between you know being locked in a cage with one angry lion versus being locked in a cage with seven angry lions. Right. Yeah. I. Uh, it's it, it's a great point. I was just looking at again football outsiders for some for some comparison stats and you know different just to kind of show the different eras i went back to 91 which was the year of the k-gun offense in buffalo so like that the running that awesome offense 
Jim Kelly's stats that year. Um, uh, 3,600 yards, 33 touchdowns, 17 interceptions. And I think that was his high water mark for touchdown passes. I'm not I don't have his career stats, but in my mind, that's like, this is like the year that he, that he was at his best. For comparison, Ryan Fitzpatrick last year with the Jets, 3,700 yards, 31 touchdowns, 15 interceptions. Derek Carr with the Raiders, 3,700 yards, 32 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. Um, and by the way, looking at the stats, Peyton Manning was an atrocious quarterback last year. <laughs> he was really I mean, bad. He, he was terrible. He was below Johnny football on the uh, on these rankings. Um, but anyway, that's another story. So yeah, the uh, you know I, I think the defense point you make is a really really good one. You know the front the, the athleticism of front uh, of guys in the front seven, especially on the front four, what they can do physically um, is just shattered shatters a lot of you know you know deep offense defense is always a re, you know kind of a reaction game to what what the others are doing and i think that that that's a great point i think you know during the t- during this that era that 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 passing's gone up i think it's also the time when running back shelf the shelf life of running backs kind of plummeted where you you would really see the running backs that like 30 year old plateau really became prominent right in this in in this in this kind of 10 year span where like you would get a guy for a good four or five years and then that if lucky and then that's it they'd be done um and you know you know that so you know offenses have to go to another to another direction, but I what I just find inter- so two points that I find interesting in kind of the development of that. One, there's this book that I mentioned by Bruce Feldman, the QB, the making of modern quarterbacks, and it's supposed to be about the making of the, the how to make a, the, the like quarterback industrial complex, right? And there's a lot of talk. They spend time with um, what's his name, Trent Dilfer, and his quarterback camp, and like you know, Dilfer. It's a very funny read because Dilfer has always said he's looking for the quote the dude. Factor with quarterbacks right you know that kind of like basically ryan leaf type leadership is the way i always read it you know it's you're looking for that like leadership commands respect and all that um you know i, I hot take i know it when i see it type deal <laughs> and, and, and the book kind of falls apart because he got the i mean it falls apart on a, the larger level of like this could i i was expecting kind of like a money ball about qbs and instead he got uh bruce feldman got incredible access to manzel and so it became a much more more of a book about Manziel than about the, the development of quarterbacks. But I was thinking about that with this topic because, like, one of the things that strikes me is it, it, it just strikes me weird that there there's this dearth of great quarterbacks, we'll say, and you know, adjusting for bell curve and that. But there's like there, there's this like weird dearth of good to great quarterback play, and yet. Offenses are still geared around quarterbacks. Like the quarterback is so important, but there are no good quarterbacks. It strikes me as that strikes me as a weird juxtaposition, right? The one thing I was thinking about with that is like, I, I, I think well, there, like, I wouldn't say there are no good quarterbacks. There's just not very well, many. Well, no, there's a dearth of it. There's that. Yeah. There's that lack of for the like you said for the importance that quarterback has. There's not. There should be more. Quarterback play should be better, and but it, 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 so that reminds me of like when sports reporters or journalists complain about how Twitter is used in news. And I always want to, I always say to them, it's being used by that like that because that's how you use it. Like if you complain about the speed of news being broken on Twitter, well, you're breaking news fast on Twitter. That's how you use it. That's Twitter exists. How you, how you use it, you know, defines the norms of it. And that's what we've done. So it just strikes me as weird that, that there hasn't been this counter of, 
well, they're no good, there's no great quarterback play, and we struggle developing quarterbacks, so let's de-emphasize the quarterback and re-emphasize a running game or like do something do something different. It's the, well, we don't have a great quarterback. Tyrod Taylor is going to be a great quarterback. Um, or, yeah, or, but you or know. Like that. Um, and, and, and it just makes me wonder about the development. And, you know, I don't, I don't watch college football as much as you do, so you're going to speak to this much better. But, you know, the quarterback play in colleges, you know, number, you know, obviously passing numbers are huge in college. But my rudimentary understanding on it is that it's very much like a one read, like two step drop throw. Like it's a very like there's no, you know, like like read a play and make a and and make a read. Like you get you're like one like it, uh, the, the offenses are very scripted and designed like i think that was the chip kelly model right like like you you make your first read and you make a quick play right on it and 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 i wonder about you know the nfl doesn't have a minor league it doesn't have a developmental system and the developmental system is college football which is fine except that college football coaches aren't in the business of developing quarterbacks they're in the business of winning games and they're going to do what they have to do to win that week's game or to win the in that season and that's not necessarily the same as preparing a, a, a quarterback for a professional career. Unlike, let's say, the minor leagues in baseball, where it's understood that if you have a Matt Harvey in your or a, 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 a Jake Arrieta in your farm system, you're you're going to you're you're not going to push him to win a game. You're going to keep him, and, and, and the whole point is to develop him until he gets to the major. So I just wonder if that's how much that plays a role in it too. Oh, I think that that's part of it, certainly. I also think, though, you know, another important element to keep in mind is, well, maybe two elements to keep in mind, and then we'll move off of this. Um, element A is that the it's it's more than just the, the lack of a farm system, the lack of, like, dedicated development. It's also the fact that the best quarterback prospects tend not to be at the best schools in college football because mm-hmm. – those teams generally build their games around a running attack because it's easy to run the ball if you've got the best offensive linemen and the best running backs and that's what mm-hmm. most of the top most of the top programs stockpile offensive line defensive line defensive players in general and then if they're stockpiling at a particular position it's generally running back sure um, and you know that's been the way that it is for a while and you know and you'll get good quarterbacks a lot of times not always but a lot of times they'll come out of of you know second tier schools you know i mean you know obviously tom brady peyton manning these are exceptions but right. for every tom brady or, or peyton manning you'll you know you'll get a, a drew Brees who went to purdue which is not mm-hmm. a, not a top school uh um, right. you know or you'll get a an aaron Rodgers who went to cal who was at a junior right. college before he went to cal right um you know i mean so you know the the developmental curve for a lot of quarterbacks is is stunted because you're also dependent on the coach that you've got since there's no tie-in with the individual NFL teams if you're lucky you're you're playing for a coach who runs a pro-style offense and who can get you prepared but almost every NFL scout will tell you that even quarterbacks running a pro-style offense in college they're running the most rudimentary of systems because you've got a team of guys, most of whom are not capable of running an actual pro-style offense. Right. You know, so it ends up being, you know, not a great proving ground. So I do, I do, I agree with you to some degree. I think that that might be part of it. But I think, I think the other issue, though, to keep in mind, is that you you mentioned why 
we don't see teams moving away from a quarterback heavy play if there are not is if there's not a good quarterback and and I think that that's the wrong way to look at it because I think uh-huh. the idea that you can succeed in the league without a pass heavy offense in this particular era is just the the the, the strategy the tactics are not there right now right it's that's kind, what it, happens that's what happened with the bills. Like they were going to ground and pound with Greg Roman. And right. And that was like, like even up like last year, even the most diehard bills fans, you know, Rex people were like, huh? Yeah. Really? I think we're going to do that now. Okay. And we see what happened. But pe- anyway. pe- people, people look at the, 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 you know, the passing offenses and they think that, okay, that is a cause. Well, it's actually an effect. And I think, I think what you get, what it gets down to when you look at the, when you look at the passing yardage numbers that we just read off and you think about the implications, the the, the the fact of the matter is the 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 the, the increase in quality on defense has really beca- become, I think, remarkable. Not just in terms of the players, but also in terms of the schemes being run. And right. the pass-happy offenses are a direct reaction to that because the one thing that defeats speed and power is the ability to go over it. Okay, yep. And so that's where we find ourselves right now. Now, I think... Uh, you know, it's kind of like what's going on in the NBA right now, where, uh, you know, all these people, you know, they, they looked at Golden State and they were like, well, you know, you can't can't consistently win games if you're shooting threes all the time. And it's like, well, you can if you've got good yeah. enough three-point shooters. Right. And, and, yeah, you know, they lost to the Cavs, but they went to seven games in that series. And, you know, I mean, it, and, and what did they do? They went out and they acquired a player who is going to make them even harder to stop offensively. And, and that's, that's the gambit. It's like, okay, well, who right. can compete against that? You know, the, so ultimately I think that the same sort of machinations go on in the NFL. I just think what we need to do, cause you know, the, the last thing I'll say, and then I'd like to move off this topic. People mm-hmm. keep saying that, you know, the, the games are favoring offense. Like all the offense has all these advantages. Um, so the average, points scored in an, uh, for an NFL team in a game in um, uh, 1986 was 20.5 points per okay. game. In 1996, it was 20.4. In 2006, it was 20.7. Mm-hmm. In 2016, it's 22.5. It's a negligible difference. Right. Barely, not even a field goal up, up a game. So. Right. You know, I mean, so you're not talking about some kind of, and, and you know, the scoring has tracked up ever so slightly, and you know, uh, as it's tracked against this increase in passing, but but it's right. it, it's certainly not it's certainly not a, like a standard deviation up or two standard deviations up. Um, so, I think it's important to keep that in mind, and I think that if we're going to have the league that we have right now, we need to acknowledge that there have to be some structural alterations if we want games to be entertaining. Right. And and you know while there are purists who think that a nine to six game is an entertaining game, that's it's not that's an great. entertaining. Game. I mean that's great if you want to be baseball, you know if you or right. if you you know if you want if you want to like have your sport rely on on some kind of weird antiquated notion of how the game should really be played. I mean you know good right. luck with that. I'd rather watch something that was entertaining. Right. So in the last football note I want to do, and I love this, this is on five thirty eight. This week it has nothing to do with quarterbacks, but it has everything to do with my team's sorry ass season. <laughs> they have they had the the chart of playoff chances by record, 
And so it was like wins and lo- wins on the the x axis, the y axis, the losses on the x axis, and like you could find every team a given record at a point of the season. What are the odds that a teams can make a playoff? The Bills right now, even if they somehow beat the Cardinals this week, have no better than a twenty five percent chance at making the playoffs, and they could be down to a two percent chance. They could be down to they could be at a two percent chance if they lose uh, this week. So. I'm going to have a lot of free Sundays this year is what I'm hearing because that is a train wreck of a season. All right, let's move off of football and on to music. So I came, I had two kind of quick hit, but we can always always talk about them. Musical questions that, I, that kind of have, have been rattle, rattling around my head. So the first to me is, and I, I mentioned this to you the other day, is there, are there any bands or artists that you feel like you should be a big fan of but for some reason aren't. And I'll give my example first and let okay. you kind of go on with that. So for me, it's Pearl Jam. Now, I always feel the need to to say, I like Pearl Jam fine enough. They're obviously great rock band. I've, I, I, I enjoy listening to them. But when I look, step back and kind of look at it objectively, like Pearl Jam should be in my top five or top three favorite bands, just given who they are, when they were, like when they kind of came to prominence, when they became popular, their sound, their makeup, their like the general ethos about them, just like everything about them says like I should be a huge, huge Pearl Jam fan. And while I like them fine enough, they're just they're they're a band that I listen to. I'm like, yes, I enjoy Pearl Jam. And for some reason have never, excuse me, made that leap to where like I should be a really I feel it was one of those where like I feel like I should be a bigger Pearl Jam fan than I am. And my, my only thought on why it I'm not is it dates back to the early '90s when you were you picked Nirvana or Pearl Jam, like that was it was like the Beatles Stones thing, like you just kind of automatically pick you like pick the band and that was yours and it wasn't a huge rivalry it was a little over it was but it was overblown, but like like I was always more identified Nirvana than Pearl Jam and I just wonder if that stuck so that just strikes me as an interesting thing like for you are there any bands that you look at and hear and like. I, I like them. They're good, but I should be a bigger fan of them than I really am, and I'm just kind of surprised that I'm not. Ooh, I would say Kings of Leon. Okay. Um, just I've I mean seemed like a band that would have been like in my wheelhouse, and it I just it just that never has done never has moved the needle for me. Okay. Um. The, the Pearl Jam Nirvana thing is interesting. I, I, you know, because I think that context ruins a lot of things, like in the moment. And <laughs> yes, you know, it's like Beatles versus Stones. Like, you know, I mean, you know, the, like the idea that there has to be some kind of a of a, a binary choice, which is dumb. Right. I mean, I've always hated this. I, and I think we've talked about this before. I've always hated this idea that you know we we. We, we look at bands the way we look at football teams. It's like you don't have right. to like you don't have to root for one against the other. Like that's not right. the way. Yes. That... yes, you can enjoy both bands and, and right. think that they're very good. I mean, I guess I guess Bruce Springsteen would be another one. You know, he's on. He is definitely on mine too. And um, yeah, I've never like, like part of it is my natural reaction to every white sports writer I know who gushes over Springsteen, <laughs> and I just kind of kind of react against that. Um, but I would, but like, I would, yeah, Springsteen's on that list. I would, I definitely want to see Springsteen at some point for the show and to see it because it's obviously, you know, I have to clear a few nights out of my schedule from what I understand on that. 
um, because he doesn't. He it's not a short show when he plays. Um, but no, so so Springsteen's on that would be on would probably be on that list too. And it's interesting because like I, I I don't include bands who I haven't listened to a lot of their stuff. Like you're gonna you're gonna end this podcast series right now, but I have not listened to a ton of Wilco, and I know that that's a ah. huge gap. And I've started to and, and for no reason like. You know, it, it's just not, and I know it, it's one of those I know I would like. I just, and if I listen to them more, I feel like I would like them too. But again, that's that's an interesting thing. Like the Decemberists are like that for me too, where I where I very much enjoy that album. Every time we listen to it, we're like, why don't we listen to it more? But then you don't, and I don't know if it's just you fall back on what you know and what's and what's available and kind of what's comfortable and what you definitely enjoy. Um, I don't know, but yeah, Wilco and the Decemberists are two on there, but, and those are more of, I need to spend more time with their music than like Pearl Jam. I've spent a, a they, Pearl Jam. I'm not, no secret to like, I'm no stranger to their music. It just doesn't grab me the way that if speaking objectively, like if you were going to come up with an algorithm or like a data set for band, you know, my likes bands that Brian would enjoy Pearl Jam would be way up high on that list. Right. Well, and look, the, the nice thing about now is that with Spotify or whatever streaming service you're using, you can access yes. those bands much easier. Like, that was my, always my thing. Like, for, for many years, there were artists I wanted to get into that I really couldn't because I just I didn't have the money to spend on buying all the albums. Right. And, uh, you know, it makes me wonder when people talk, you know, about how much they know a particular artist. Like, how many albums do you actually have of this? Right. I, I right. will actually, one group I will say, and I, I like this group. I'm just not, like, torridly in love with them like so many people are, is REM. And okay. it's the same sort of thing where I've got all the albums and I've tried listening to the albums and they just don't click with me the way that I feel that they should. And that's what I mean. Yeah. Something like that. And I was a huge, huge REM fan in college and I still pop in, you know, every now and then I'll pop in one of their albums. Yeah. I'm up on Spotify and it's like, yeah, it takes me back. REM such an interesting band too. I was thinking about this the other day that, um, you know, Pantheon, you know, a weirdly Pantheon band that, you know, getting into our next question is kind of vaguely underrated with time. You know, lo- looking back, like nobody's going to say REM is not well, well well regarded or wasn't famous or wasn't successful. But I don't feel like you know they 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 kind of they petered out at the end. They had the albums with the the three piece, which had some good songs on it. They were not failures, but they were not. You know, REM had its peak, and then they and then they kind of tailed off, and then they they retired and they've just kind of fallen off, you know, fallen off of radar. And so that they're a really interesting band like that, I feel like. But yeah, they're they're on that they're in, in that area too, I feel like. Yeah. So um so yeah, second musical question I wanted to get to. Um what are what do you think are I, I won't say the most. I'll throw out my my two or three, but some underrated songs and I want to try to define what I mean by underrated. So what I mean by under when I when I think of my underrated songs, I don't think of like the deep cuts that like you know like the the side two of a Zeppelin album that like is like the 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 fans really really know and like oh everyone knows Stairway to Heaven you've got to know this song I'm not talking about that 
you know, I'm talking about a song that might be well known, that might be in movies, might be a single, you might hear on the radio, but that you feel doesn't isn't on that pantheon level of other song uh, of other songs either by that artist or kind of in general. You're gonna make me go first, aren't you? Uh, you want me to go first to give you a, to give you, you, a... you go ahead, yeah, please. Okay, so I have so I have three. I'm going to start off with the first one, which might be a weird pick, but I feel like the Pixies are one of the most underrated bands of the past generation of pop music. Um, and so I'll throw Here Comes Your Man as kind of representative of that. I include them because I know their influence on early 90s grunge rock was huge. Like Kurt Cobain has said, and set, has said, he said it because total past tense, that um, he was trying to write a really good P- Pixies record when he wrote Nevermind. Right. So I feel like that influence, you know, and Here Comes Your Man, great song. So the two that I've kind of landed on is really underrated songs. And by what I mean is uh, Vienna by Billy Joel. And uh, what I think is the most underrated song is Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatter's by Elton John. <laughs> which now, I just okay. posted on my Facebook page the other day. Oh, really? I didn't notice that. Um, which, okay, which, look, it is not an obscure track. Yes, it was in Almost Famous. I get that it's you know a, a well-known, popular song. But when you think Elton John, you don't think of that song. You think of you know some of the. You, you think of Benny and the Jets. You think of Tiny Dancer. You think of kind of his other bigger hits. And I don't feel like Mo- a song like Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatter's gets its due as being a truly great, great song. So that's kind of what I'm talking about. Same with Billy Joel. Like Vienna, I'm not a, the world's biggest Billy Joel fan, but Vienna kills me every time in a way that Piano Man and, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, insert Billy Joel song here. <laughs> other, other, I just couldn't think of one off the top of my head. Um, Songs from scenes from an Italian restaurant, sure, um, but uh, but they, 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 like that grabs me in a way that those don't, and I don't feel like he's as well known for that as those. So that's kind of that's kind of what I mean by the underrated song. I see. So I mean, let me ask you a question before I try to answer. Are you? Okay. Is your is your uh, is your thought process here that these are songs that are? Um, be- because like because they haven't been overexposed, you still like it increases your enjoyment of them. Yeah, where you know what? Yeah, I think that's part of it. Honestly, you know, I haven't. You know, I've heard. You know, how many times have you heard Piano Man in your life? Right. Eighty gazillion versus how many times have you heard Vienna? Significantly less. So maybe that does. You know, hmm. that 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 maybe that does play a significant part in it. Yeah. Okay. That's okay. So that's interesting. Um, I'm gonna have. I to... have thought about it like that, but that's a really good. A good way of realizing it. I'm gonna have to. Th- okay, I. <laughs> there's a weird one that popped into my head immediately, and this is such okay. a. It's such a poppy song, but uh, "Summertime" by the Sundays. Oh, great song! Which which is a great song that yeah. like always you you never see it on or hear it on on like the the '90s mixes or anything like right. that. Right. Um. But it's it. I don't know. It 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 conjures up that particular era very well and. It's not like overly cloying or anything like that, which is which is always appreciated. Um, right. So that would be, I guess, maybe that would be one that would fit into this paradigm. All right. Uh, I'm trying to. I want to give you at least one other one because um, I I would hate to. It's it's funny because you know now that I think about it, like a lot of, I don't think that my a lot of the songs that I would think of would necessarily fit into what you're, what you're designing. I okay. I would say. Um, 
Sway by the Rolling Stones, which is the okay. second song on on the album Sticky Fingers. It's the it's the song after Brown Sugar. Okay, yeah. Not a single, and I but I wouldn't call it a deep cut because that's probably their best selling album. Sure. Um, you know, if I had to pick another um another Well, what, okay. Yeah. If you would define underrated, how you would un- define it? So no, no, no. I like definition. I like your definition. Your definition okay. makes sense. Um, I, you know, I think that it's, um, it, it I, I can get behind the idea that you are, you know, of, of what you're trying to put forward. I'm just, I'm trying to think of anything else that would really, like, right. pop up in my head and and occupy yeah. that space, like right yeah. off right off the bat. Um, right, like sway is a good pick. Like you don't want to say like. Uh, Rubber Soul. That's a really underrated Beatles album compared with like the attention the other ones get. Like no, no. Chuck Klosterman put it best once that the Beatles are the most accurately rated rock and roll band in the history of the genre. Okay, I'll get, I, I've got another one, and this okay. one uh, it would be Rocky Mountain Way by by, by uh, Joe Walsh. Which <laughs> all right, which yeah. which, which again, it's like when you hear it, you grasp it immediately. But it's like it's it's a song that doesn't. I don't think, and maybe I'm just listening to the wrong, I don't listen to much classic rock radio anymore, but I don't ever really remember hearing it on classic rock radio. I mean, it always got like, you know, it was, you know, they're playing the Eagles or they're playing Boston Uh, or they're playing Kansas or something like that. But it's a, it's a really good song. And, and yet it's been, it's been not played just enough um, that you you don't feel guilty when it comes i guess that's my idea with with summertime it's like i don't feel guilty about listening to this like i i don't i don't feel guilty about listening to um have a cigar by pink Mm -hmm. floyd i do kind of feel guilty about hearing wish you were here because it's like jesus i've heard this for like 300 300 times in my life but i haven't heard have a cigar that often so i i think that that's what we're going for here to some degree yeah, so we'd love to hear if you want to tweet at us with your with uh, hashtag FlipsidePod and under what your, your what you think is the best under most underrated song. Uh, I'll put together a rolling Spotify playlist. There you go. Of that, and I've got to say, for Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatter's last thought on that, you might laugh at this. You know who did a great, fantastic cover version of that song? No idea who. Mandy Moore. <laughs> no, that's that doesn't surprise me. I mean, Mandy that's... Moore. She, she did a, that coverage album, and I think two thousand two, two thousand three, where she did like a lot of those seventies, seventies uh, uh, album or AOR songs. Like she did seventies uh, and eighties. So she did "Have a Little Faith in Me." She did uh, "I Feel the Earth Move Under My Feet," and she did that song. And that's the first time I really it really resonated with me was hearing that my wife playing this album for me, and I'm like, really, Mandy Moore? She's like, no, you give it a listen. <laughs> And it's a fantastic album. It's one of those where, like, you realize Mandy Moore is really a talented singer. Yeah. And, and you know, not – and this was just coming out of her, like, Britney Christina phase. So, like, right. it was the, oh, wait, she's actually quite good. So that's a fantastic version of that song. So, all right, we have we have a food poll, a, a food poll related question that is probably going to be our uh, – our most to- our trending topic on this be- so, on this podcast because it's 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 the important work that we do here and it, and 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 it's this has generated a surprising amount of debate here locally uh, after oh, I, oh, after really? I posted it yes so right. so I posted what I, I I knew would be a subversive question uh, which <laughs> which was, and I and I actually sat here with my wife and debated what all to put in uh, to this poll but the question was what is more trash. And originally it was going to be a binary 
question between Papa John's and Subway. And after discussing it with her, we decided to also throw Applebee's into the poll. Okay. And the poll concluded... And uh, you, did you see how the poll turned out? You know, for some reason, I cannot get the poll to come up when I look at your at your Twitter feed, either either in the browser or in TweetDeck. So, okay. no. I, so, so, this is news to me. This is breaking news so on the podcast. Breaking news. This is this is first provide first news provided to um, uh, to Brian and and to you folks as well. Website listeners. Um, shockingly, 181 votes recorded. Okay. Applebee's won. Really? The poll with 36%. Papa John's also had 36%. So we're talking okay. about like a margin of, of, so, of victory. So this, like, this, oh, this went to the House of Representatives is yes, what happened. Exactly. Okay. And Subway only garnered 28% of the vote. Really? Yes. Wow. Yeah. All right. And I was, I was frankly quite surprised at the outcome of this poll. I really I'm was. Fla- I'm flabbergasted at that. So, okay. I, I have my pick and I talked to my wife who uh, about this too. Um, because my pick was Papa John's of these three. Okay. But she is an, is we she is has been in the past a Papa John's fan, hmm. and so I'm I'm calling up. I actually sent her an email today. Said I need notes, so I need to know why you think you know what th- this is why this is important. Uh, flip side uh, prep, and so she enjoyed Papa John's. Where is her? Here we go. So her rationale for liking Papa John's pizza, for one, there's a nostalgia factor to it because it was one of the first chain pizzas they had in her hometown uh, after the really crappy ones. So there's a nostalgia. So her her line, uh, it isn't cardboard like Domino's sometimes, can sometimes be. It isn't super crappy like Little Caesars. It's cheap but passable. It's not authentic pizza, but it's not the kind of $25 for the local chain pizzas that aren't really that good. Um, if I'm not going to, if I'm going to eat not that good pizza, I want to pay $10 for it and get garlic butter. I think the garlic butter is a big selling point. Obviously. Um, so, so her pick of those three, she picked Subway in a runaway. I mean, she is just, I mean, it was just for no, for her, no question that Subway was what was the winner there. So I went, I would go here picking these three cause I, I thought a lot about this. Um, I, I would go Papa John's and here's why. Okay. So. Subway, I think we talked about in our fast food rankings episode in season two. Um, yes, it, it tends to be crap. I don't like – I actually don't like what Subway has done to the idea of going to a deli and getting a good sandwich for lunch. There's always something good about a good deli sandwich for lunch, and Subway kind of ruined that aspect, I feel like. It kind of replaced good sandwich culture with, like, fast subculture, and that's not good. And plus, you know – it. it it's weird because, like, I appreciate that there's a healthy option available on a fast in a fast food vein. That's I don't have to settle for McDonald's or Burger King. I can get fast food, but it is weird how we've made deli cold cuts into the healthy option. Right. Um. This is um very funny when you think about it. So Applebee's, the the runaway winner. I. I'm not gonna say I like Applebee's, but I not, I not the not, run, have... not the runaway winner, the, okay, but the, the runoff okay, winner, runoff winner here. Uh, the Republican show, uh, controlled House picked Applebee's because of it, <laughs> because it was receiving uh, uh, money from the Subway pack. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see, I like I, I tend to like Applebee's more than a lot of people. Now, okay, I'm not gonna sit here and say that it's good food or that it's you know super high quality. Or great dining experiences, but I, I, I tend to like you know a, a, an okay-ish sit-down place where you can get a decent burger and a beer 
for a, a relatively inexpensive price. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I don't have a visceral hatred of Applebee's. Um, I do find it odd how those places like Applebee's and Chili's and Fried and TGI Fridays and Ruby Tuesdays, how they always try to like reconfigure their menus and like try to hop on trends in a very weird way. But for me, the problem with Papa John's is, look, I am a p- cheap pizza fan. Like, I, I, I like, to, I actually like Domino's. Um, I, 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 especially since in, in their like kind of modern, we suck. We're trying not to suck less. We're trying to suck less era. I, I feel like their pizzas are not bad. Um, I don't have a problem with Little Caesars because it's five dollar pizza. You get what you, you know where you're going. You know right. what you're getting when you go to Little Caesars. There's no. There's no qualms about what you're getting. But I feel like Papa John's to me is trying to place itself in this weird, like, we're better than Domino. Like my wife said, we're better than Domino's and Little Caesars. Um, but but it's actually not that much cheaper than the other two. And the quality's not there for me. It's just not very good pizza. And I feel like they're trying to place themselves as like a, like the quality step up. Like we were discussing this on Twitter. I think you were you, like, I, I take their, their marketing campaign as a anti dominoes. And you said they were aiming more at pizza. Hut. I think you're both there. There there's truth in both, but I, but I just, I don't, I, I feel like Papa John's pizza. It's like, it, it, it's, it's, it's flat, but it, it's thin, but flimsy crust. Like there's no crunch to it. Like there's no, that crisp baked crust at least dominoes you get a little bit of crunch on the crust whether it's any good or not there's still like i'm a I'm, okay i'm an east coast pizza guy i'm a new york pizza guy over chicago pizza a hundred times out of a hundred sorry midwesterners listening but you know i represent new york on that whatever so i'm a new i know i know i know well you can just stand there in your wrongness and be wrong and get used to it but i'm a new york pizza guy <laughs> so i like that crunch and, and like that's what's always weirdly missing about papa john's it's that kind of flimsy it's like it's the perfect i don't know it 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 it, it, it aspires it claims to be more than it is and i feel like it aspires to be something higher than the quality pans out to be so i I would rank of the three i would rank papa john's as the as the worst because i always take value and what i pay for it into account subway you know four dollars for 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 a cheap sub on the road all right i don't have to have a quarter pounder i'll take it um you know, Applebee's, again, I know what I'm getting into, but I can get a burger. My kid, they, they have a decent kid's menu there, so that's always nice. And, you know, I don't know. I, I, I'm amazed at the visceral reaction I was seeing Applebee's getting. That surprised me. What about you? Well, I think Applebee's digs their own grave a bit because they they try to act like the neighborhood diner, and yes. they're about the farthest thing from that. Right, and, and that's an insult to diners, which are an American treasure. You know, I look. I, I do think that. What I think of the three, Applebee's is by far the least offensive of the three. Thank you. That's exactly it. That's I, a great I mean, way of putting it's it. It's not good food, no. and I mean, you know, Matt Zimmerman is offended at their pretensions to being like something other than they actually are, and I understand that philosophy. Absolutely. But I don't. I don't. You know, so I don't, personally, I don't subscribe to that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and look, as one of my students pointed out, I could have bad food at any of the three places. Applebee's is the only of the places where I could also have a beer. 
and yeah, so that, which is a huge <laughs> selling point in their favor. Yes, yes. Yes. So there, there is that. Now, as far so, so I, I was shocked that that won the poll because I almost didn't put them in. Uh, I, right. I really wasn't, wasn't expecting them to win. As far as the other two, I think it comes down to the, the, the way that the food ultimately tastes and. You know, you can talk about Subway being like the quote-unquote healthy option, even though most of their subs are not actually healthy. Most of their no. subs are, are actually pretty caloric, you know, and they're like, oh, we're the healthy option. And, yeah, if you get the veggie delight on wheat with no cheese, right? you, you know, sure, that's healthy. That's also not what 99% of the people going in there are, are ordering. That's true. All of their subs kind of have this weird plasticity to them yes. like you know the the bread it's bread but it's not like it's not even like uh you know i don't know if you have like jersey mike's or jimmy john's or, or yes. something like J- that jimmy john's underrated sub shop underrated place yeah. for a sub shop blow subway out of the water yeah. i mean they're you know the, the, the jimmy john's bread isn't anything that's going to win awards but it's at least like it's like someone cooked a, a loaf like a small like turbo loaf of bread and cut cut it in half and put meat in it, you know. Yeah. Um, you know the Subway bread, it just it feels almost artificial to some degree. Right. And you know, I mean, they granted they they bake it themselves, whatever. I mean, whatever they're doing, it's very. They it, put it in an oven themselves. Okay, this is not like right. They're, they're not culturing that bread in the back or anything right, right. like that. <laughs> um, the the meat selections are uninspiring generally, and you know, look, I look, I used to eat Subway quite a bit. I've I've gotten to a point where I don't even want to walk into a subway because there's just nothing on the menu that I would find appealing to me. Like I'm I'm almost you know the, I used to get like the sweet onion chicken teriyaki. Like that would right. be that would be the sandwich I would I would order because at least it had a little bit of flavor to it. And then I was like, all I'm basically doing is eating teriyaki sauce. Right. Like the the chicken isn't like even even like like good chicken it's just it's oh just... it's terrible chicken my wife gets to the uh the chicken bacon ranch and she yeah. has to pick out half the pieces half the most of the time yeah so so you so you take subway and you contrast it with papa john's now papa john's pizza is is pretty trashy um it was an interesting alternative in the 90s to mm-hmm. pizza to pizza hut because back yes. the, you know pizza hut was was the pizza place um, nationally, and yeah. and it's granted, it's it's gotten very very bad over the years as well. Um, but the problem is, Papa John's got worse somehow mm-hmm. than Pizza Hut did, and and the yes. way that their pizza operates is frankly, it's just it it doesn't do anything for you. Like there's no real legitimate flavor to it. Right. There the you know there. The, the the base and it's been a while since I had a Papa John's pizza, but like the the base pizza just isn't it isn't quality. The cheese is a very low quality. Right. The, the toppings there's are not a, there's not a good sauce to cheese ratio. Right. Or, right. But yeah. but but you know, at least at least Papa John's has the saving grace of like the breadsticks are okay. That I actually think their breadsticks are better, certainly better than than Pizza Hut's breadsticks. Okay. And that's a hot take right there. That is a serious hashtag hot take. That's a hot take. Pizza Hut so. Pizza Hut breadsticks are disgusting, man. Oh, I bet I used to. I, oh okay, God. I, okay, that might be a food that was really good when I was twenty-two, like sixteen or twenty-two. And now that I'm pushing forty, I might really regret saying that. 
I mean, but, you look. You're. I mean, you're welcome to whatever you want. I'm just saying, go, go get some. <laughs> go tomorrow for lunch. Go get some Pizza Hut breadsticks and eat them, and you'll be like, "Wow, I was a fool." Uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, I, you know, Papa John's breadsticks, unless they've changed them significantly, they actually have. They've just, you know, there's the regular breadsticks, which are doughy, which is you know that's good as opposed to like the weird hard baked like let's press some Italian herbs into the surface. Uh, mentality that that um, that Pizza Hut uses on their breadsticks, oh, and then wow. you can also get what is in effect cheese sticks at right. Papa John's, and cheese, you know, and pe- cheese sticks basically just you know a pizza with just cheese on it and some right. garlic butter, and that's a that's a quality meal. Like you can you can get by with that, and even though the cheese isn't of the greatest quality, at least that's the only variable that you're dealing with. Right. There's not really an equivalent of that at Subway. Like the closest point. E- the closest equivalent is the bagged chips, which you can get anywhere. Those have nothing to do with Subway. <laughs> yeah, although their cookies are solid, but but yeah, I mean, what Papa John's ultimately has going for it in this is the the old standby of that it's pizza. And that even crappy bad pizza is still pizza. So it's still in a fen- – it's almost uh, – I, I, I kind of view Papa John's, I guess, in a similar vein to Applebee's in that it's pr- pretty much inoffensive. Um, it's just, you know, a little I, – I, I feel like they should, if they brought their prices down like $3, $4, it'd be a lot more That's coming. I'm certain yeah. that's coming. Oh, I'm sure that's coming. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it just strikes me as I don't know. Yeah, I'd still fault Papa John's just because I tend to have a higher bar on pizza, and like I, it, you know, it, it's one of those where like I feel like with Papa John's I can buy a better frozen pizza, like the Newman's own pizza I can get, and that's a much better quality pizza than anything I get at Papa John's at a fraction of the cost. Um, you know. So I don't know. I, I I'm still amazed that that inoffensive Applebee's. You know, what did Applebee's ever do to anybody? That's what I want to know. Oh God, we're gonna get so many emails about what Applebee's did to people. Now that I've said that, probably. That's good. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, it's uh, we'll we'll deal with the outraged Applebee's um, <laughs> constituency. I think I think we're man enough to handle it. So. I think I, I I I think you know I'm 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 willing to hear your pain, America. I'm willing to hear what what Applebee's has done to you. So. Yeah. Anyway, well, we should probably wrap up. Uh, yes. But uh, good conversation all the way around, and yes. we will, uh, of course, look forward to doing this again at some point quite soon. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian, any final thoughts before we wrap up? Uh, just remember uh, and the ha- uh, tweet us at hashtag FlipsidePod with your underrated songs, and I will add it to our uh, Spotify list. We are here to take your requests. We're like the DJ that you never wanted. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, for uh, for Brian, I'm Galen. Uh, thanks for listening, folks. We will catch you on the flip side. So long, everybody. See ya.